Welcome to Making Action Happen with Sarah Blackhurst and Brian McCain. We're here to discuss public policy issues in our home state of Colorado and beyond. Making Action Happen is presented by Action 22. Find out about our organization at action22.org. Now, here are your hosts, Sarah Blackhurst and Brian McCain. Hi, welcome back to Making Action Happen. I'm Sarah Blackhurst. And I'm Brian McCain. And we have got um, our good friend, and um, we're part of the the big fandom of Mike uh, Beasley with us. Um, we've asked Mike to come back on and talk about the election results or the primary election results and what are some of the implications. This was a really interesting, everybody was watching this for indications of what this um, is going to look like for this year. So um, we, we brought Mike back to talk a little bit, unpack um, exactly what happened on Tuesday night. Well, it's good to see you uh, and hear you. I hope everybody is well. You know, um, we're going to, as you said, we're going to talk a little bit about the election. And I think we should disclose on the front end, it's going to sound, I'm going to spend a lot of time talking about Republicans. And for Democrats out there, they may be upset about that. But the truth is, the Democrat Party is very settled uh, in in who their candidates are and their, their ticket going into November for federal, state, and local races. And, and there really weren't very many primaries, especially in, in the Action uh, t- uh, 22 footprint. So we're going to talk a lot about uh, Republicans just because that field was unsettled. There were primaries pretty much across the board. Um, but it does relate to what what I know that uh, the leadership of Action 22 wants to do with your members and with your, with your uh, viewers and listeners. Uh, uh, about the election moving forward. But I have to say, as an election nerd, um, this was one of the most interesting elections we've seen in a while. Um, uh, you saw quite a bit of money spent by the Democrat Party to influence uh, Republican um, uh, voters and unaffiliated voters that were participating in the primary this last Tuesday. And it's interesting as someone old like me uh, to hear folks screaming about money being spent uh, to influence a primary. But I have to tell you, it's something that the Democrats have done uh, for at least 30 years that I can think of. Um, They did it um, uh, when Bruce Benson ran for governor against Governor Romer in the 80s. They did it um, to folks like uh, in the state legislature in the early 2000s. Um, we, um, uh, the Action 22 folks are familiar with the name Scott McGinnis, who ran for governor. Uh, they spent quite a bit of money talking about um, claims, some s- substantiated and many not, about Scott McGinnis's record that ultimately um, defeated him in that primary. And the Republican in that race went on to the November election and only got 11% of the vote, which, you know, I joked at the time I had more people at my wedding reception than (laughs) that poor guy got uh, for governor. But um, so look, you know, it's been done before. And as Dick Wadham said, I, I saw him on CNN the other day, former chairman of the Republican Party. You know, it's not, it may, it's, it's not, um, it's not um it's probably not ethical but it is really smart what they tried to do um and honestly uh it didn't work across the board and so for me as a casual observer of this process watching them spend what i think is going to be closer to 15 million dollars 
to tell people that the candidates that won on election are really the true moderates that can govern, I think was a risk the Democrats took, and I'm not sure how it's going to turn out for them uh, was, come November. I was thinking that when we watched um, Ron Hanks and Joe O'Day, um, I think it actually backfired on that one because then Joe O'Day made sure that everybody knew that Ron Hanks had gotten all this money from the Democrats. Um, did you th- did you see it the same way? You know, I did. Um, we saw it in the U.S. Senate race. We saw it um, uh, in um, the 8th Congressional District. We saw it in the Secretary of State's race in particular. And I think that that kind of, and the governor's race, uh, and I think that kind of forecast where uh, the Democrats, um, who pretty much have uh, all of these offices under their control, see um, where their weak points are, the kind of the, the chink in the armor. And so, um, look, you know, this is politics, and they took a, they went, took a risk. I, I, it did not work out for them on Tuesday, and I think they've actually spent millions of dollars promoting the person who actually won, especially with unaffiliated voters. Um, and I think that makes it an interesting dynamic. And, and I know in the weeks and months ahead, we'll be talking about this and how, what the November election looks like. But when you look at, um, um, uh, in the U.S. Senate race, uh, Joe O'Day beating Ron, Ron Hanks by around 10%. Um, is a, a very a decent number. Um, I think the one anomaly in all of this in terms of uh, the press calls the folk, the Republicans that won on Tuesday moderates, what I'll call them is Republicans with experience in governing. Right. So you can call them whatever you want to call them, I guess. But I think they're, they're mostly you know, folks that um, have served in government in some capacity or won an election. Um, with the exception of Joe O'Day as a businessman kind of stepping into this. Uh, but Loan Boebert was kind of the exception to that. Okay. She had a very, um, I thought, impressive uh, win over Senator Don Corum from mm-hmm. southwest Colorado with a 65-34% uh, victory. Um, and what's interesting about that is, remember, we're going to talk about other races, but that's one where Republicans and unaffiliateds have voted in the primary split their ticket. They, they mm-hmm. said in that case, you know, Lowen Borbert's okay, but for Secretary of State, I'm for Pam Anderson and I'm not for Tina Peters, right? Yeah. So they split their ticket uh, along the political or philosophical spectrum of, of the Republican Party. And for me as a nerd, I find that very interesting. Um, but O'Day's victory was um, across the board. It was it was urban, suburban, rural. Uh, it, was a, it was a mix. Um, um, uh, in the 5th District, which is in the Action 22 Footprint Congressional District, Doug Lamborn, who I think has had a primary each election over the last 10 years, yeah. um, uh, really beat, um, I think, what, what in my mind was one of the most formidable threats, and that's with Representative Dave Williams, um, uh, and, and beat him soundly, Yes, you know, by, you know, 15, 16 points. So um, uh, I think uh, Congressman Lamborn... Um, uh, really um, ran a good campaign and had a good message. And interestingly enough, that tension I talked about among Republicans statewide is always a focal point in El Paso County. And there were really two clear slates running for office. 
uh, one led by um, Congressman Lamborn and the other one by Representative Williams at every level of government. In the legislature, it gets Senator Lundeen, who's likely uh, the next leader of the Republicans in the Senate, to primary commissioners, primaries in the county clerk's race, etc. And that ticket head by um, Lamborn for the most part won uh, across the board and in some of those local races on a 70 to 30 margin. Um, and it really was, in my mind, um, a lot that was driving this statewide and in places like El Paso County was this election conspiracy stuff for, mm-hmm. I'm, I'm behaving myself today. Um, <laughs> That's okay. Stuff. That really was rejected. I think the Republicans, with the help of unaffiliated voters, uh, and I'll come back to that in a second, really just said, you know what, get on with it. Uh, and they, what you really saw, which is interesting to me, was across the board, urban, suburban, rural, Republicans saying they want to restore the Republican Party as a viable party. And, they're, and they nominated the best candidates to do that. And I, I just find that really interesting. And I think voters are paying attention. And I think there's a lot of frustration. And we're hearing it from our friends and our family. And in our, when you go to the grocery store, certainly the gas station. And, but we're seeing it in the polling as well. And these economic issues are, are a huge issue. And I, I want to take just a second and talk about unaffiliated voters. This is a yep. second or third election where unaffiliated could participate. And as best I can tell from looking at the numbers, um, six out of 10 unaffiliated who got their ballot, and I'm unaffiliated now, um, six out of 10 of those that cast a ballot cast that in the Republican primary. Yes. That, that's different than where they were a couple of years ago where I feel like they sent a strong message. They wanted candidates that were not Trump and not, you know, kind of, uh, you know, it was a very Biden climate, I'll call it. Um, and they wanted to throw the bums out, the Republican bums out, right? And so um, this time those unaffiliateds were, in my mind, trying to right the ship, Um and um, I, I think when we dissect these numbers in the days and weeks ahead, the unaffiliated, many of whom used to be Republicans, um, very strongly influenced the outcome of this election. So on the Republican side in the primary, were there more unaffiliated, unaffiliated who voted in this primary than there were Republicans that voted? No, there weren't more unaffiliated that voted in the Republican primary, but of those who did vote – Unaffiliates who did send in a ballot, six out of 10 of them voted in the Republican primary. Okay. Okay. And so overall, I'm thinking it's about 30% of that overall Republican total is going to be unaffiliated. Mm -hmm. That's a huge number in my opinion. And so, and again, it was in Denver, what I'll call urban. It was in suburbia where I live in Jefferson County and uh, Rappel County, places like that, Douglas County. Um, and uh, in, in our in, in our footprint of Action 22 in El Paso County, I mean, unaffiliated, many of them are recovering Republicans uh, who left the party for whatever reason over the last few years are definitely coming back. And we're also seeing voter registration numbers for Republicans increase as well. So all of that is very interesting considering what we just covered. You know, Democrats spent a lot of money to influence these primaries. Um, the, the voters selected candidates that I thought I believe, uh, and I know I'll make people mad no matter what I say in this business, but um, I believe they nominated the most electable candidates for um, governor, for secretary of state, 
uh, for the U.S. Senate, for Congress, and that will have an effect down um, ticket in the legislature, which we spend a lot of time in at Action 22. And um, and I and in, when you look at um, when I think about that, and I talk to my clients, and I try and prepare them, you know wh- what's going to happen. Right. I think it makes the legislature, county commissioner races. Um, uh, clerk races, sheriff's races, for example, more more competitive than they've been. And Republicans, for the first time, I would argue, since 2002, have the strongest slate of candidates from top to bottom that I've seen. So it, it's interesting going back to the, the money being spent by Democrats and Republican primaries. You know, we, like you said, we know it happens. It's happened for the 15 years I've been doing this. But this was the first time I noticed that they didn't deny it, you know, Four years ago, you, you say like, well, you know, the Democrats are giving my primary opponent money. They're like, whatever, that's just election conspiracy theory. This time there was no denying it. And, and it's it kind of go back to like the, you know, the UFOs in Congress. Like all of a sudden it's like, <laughs> yep, there's UFOs out there. It's like they're not denying it. Nobody cares. And, and I saw that like it, it was kind of like apathetic to it. Like they came out and said, you know, these Democrat groups are supporting these people. And for the most part, people were like, yeah, we know. So, so what? But again, I think it did strengthen when you have the people really paying attention, going back, saying like, well, look, they're taking all this Dem money. They're pumping them up. Them up. Let's see what O'Day has to say. I, that must mean that he's more electable if the Democrats are throwing money behind this person for the people to pay attention. But again, it's the first time right. where there was no denial that they did that. that. As long as I can remember, it was just, yeah, so what? Yeah, I don't know. For me, it was like uh, grabbing a lightning rod and running into a storm. Yeah. <laughs> I, 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 you know, I understand why they did it. And as I quoted yeah. my friend Dick Wadhams, I mean, it was, you know, it was really smart and it just didn't pan out for him. And so it makes things more competitive. And, and, um, um, uh, but I would say, you know, where the Democrats had uh, primaries, you know, in, um, in uh, District 46 in Pueblo, uh, nominating uh, uh, Tisha Morrow, a very strong general election candidate, um, has been a, a small business person for 20 plus years, lined up really good endorsements. I haven't met her yet, but she seems like a, a very strong candidate against uh, um, uh, Jonathan Ambler, who's a, a former educator. Um, that That's a, you know, the, the Democrats also had some business to do, yeah. especially in, in, in these in these few races um, in the San Luis Valley and House District 62. Um, Carol Riggenbaugh won that primary by a fairly convincing margin, 61 to 38 or 39. Um, a nursing or a um, healthcare uh, administrator farmer running against uh, Matthew Martinez. Um, uh, uh, with deep roots in the community and Adam state employee, a community volunteer and a veteran. I mean, these are, this process works, right? I mean, I, as a recovering campaign volunteer, campaign manager, I always hated primaries because it makes you work harder, but I really see in both parties, good candidates have floated to the top. This Colorado, regardless of where you live and, um, you could tell the voters were very thoughtful, in my opinion, in all the races that I've examined so far. And um, uh, I, I think that means that November will be much more competitive. I I really thought Sol Sandoval was going to get the um, the race for third on the Democrat side. I was surprised that Adam Frisch 
is that his name? Yeah. Frisch, yeah. Um, pulled ahead of her and I know it's close and I didn't see the final numbers on it, but that one was a surprise to me because she, she was out of all the candidates, man, she was hitting the ground hard. Like she was she in was. a different County every day. She had fundraising that was unbelievable Constantly. going into the primary, but she didn't pull it off. I know. I know I've received a fundraising text from her, I think three times a day. So I know that she worked hard and I don't know Adam Frisch, but he's coming from that Pitkin County uh, base and you saw quite a bit of turnout. Um, uh, you know, more concentrated in those larger counties than you did in places like the San Luis Valley and and uh, um, y- even in Pueblo. And so I think that it, it really was a turnout. The last numbers I have was Frisch with 40, 44% and, and uh, Sandoval with 41% wow. of that vote. So really still, good, yeah. well-run campaigns. Both those candidates um, can be very proud of the campaigns they ran. And and I think it's, it's going to be one where... Um, It'll be, um, it really is going to force uh, Congresswoman Boebert to really kind of stick to close to home and explain, you know, my guess is that campaign's going to be one of her explaining what it is that she's been doing or not doing right. um, in this election. But, you know, um, we all have friends that are running in both political parties, especially for these state races. Um, you know, I think that the what we're going to, Come October 15th or even Halloween, we're all going to be back to that stage we've been over the last several three, four elections where we're ready to take your television and throw it out your <laughs> family room window. Right. Um, because we're going to see a record amount of money spent for the U.S. Senate um, for congressional districts like the 8th Congressional District, which is um, Adams County, where I grew up, up into Weld County, all the way up to Greeley. That's probably going to be one of the top 10 seats in the country. Um, both candidates, Republican and Democrat, are really good. Um, they, they not, you know, and it's interesting, that's more of a moderate district, and they've nominated people that are center-right and center-left. Mm-hmm. So that fight for the middle is going to be an interesting one. Um, and like I said, they're both really good candidates. So I think for that's nerds a healthy who fight. think election day, yeah, I, I, I think for nerds uh, like me who think election day is like a Super Bowl, um, you're going to have <laughs> really good candidates across the board and across the state. And people are going to, you know, uh, um, it'll be curious to see what the top two or three issues are come, come uh, October when ballots start to hit. Yeah, and you're also going to need a second recycle bin for all the mailers that we're going to start getting here in about oh a month. Oh, my gosh. Yeah, I, I agree. Is it going to take a month so, to get those out? <laughs> oh, they're probably on their way right now. Yeah, <laughs> They definitely are. And so I would say, so look, moving forward, right, I mean, this was, you know, what I see again in summary is really strong candidates in both parties made it through their nominating process. There just was a lot more conversation on the Republican side. Um, for the reasons we just discussed. Um, It makes the legislature, things like the state Senate, more in play than even it was before. Um, And so there is a legitimate question for the first time in at least two or three elections where can the party, the Democrat Party, lose control of the Senate and give it to the Republicans? I, I think that's a very real possibility. And while I don't think that same question can be asked in the state house, the question will be, are the Democrats going to lose seats, which I think the answer is yes, and if so, how many? And I would say when I'm not done, you know, praying over these numbers uh, but I and, and examining them, but I would say at least three or four seats, um, which then makes the legislature, you know, um, um, 
you know, more compromise is more likely under that scenario right. on, you know, between two parties versus compromise within one. Um, uh, combined with that, you know, these federal races, we talked about the statewides for governor, secretary of state, et cetera, the legislature, then you're going to have initiatives, which I know we're going to talk about moving forward. And we know that there will be one, for example, that will raise taxes for folks on the higher end who want to take, you know, th those dollars and put into you know, school lunches or school breakfasts. You know, uh, we're going to, I know Action 22 will spend more time on that. To um, initiatives that have been approved that sig where signatures are being gathered now, and we won't know until towards the middle end of August, what will be on the ballot with initiatives. And we have a potential of having a very, very long competitive ballot for November. That's what we were, um, we were thinking about um, that. And we've already, we're already fielding questions along that. Um, let me ask you really, really quick. Um, and just as a side note, I'm sure you had, um, you'd looked at these and everybody that's running before. Um, what's your, what's your batting average on who actually won on primary? What's your, what was my batting average? Yeah. Like how many did I you call a, that were like, I got a hundred percent. So for my friends or my detractors that are listening to this moving forward, it, it really was, um, it was very interesting. Um, you know, especially for me, um, in full disclosure to, to all the folks that are listening, um, you know, I represent the county clerks in Colorado, so I work on election law. And so it really, um, I reject categorically these claims by Tina Peters and others. So for right. me, um, you know, um, for me, um, having worked for Pam Anderson and, and, and working for all these county clerks that are on the front line on, on elections, um, I thought that was a very good victory. And so for me, I didn't know how it would turn out. I had more of a candle lit than I knew for sure what would happen, but I did bet she would win in the office pool. So, Oh, that's hilarious. Well, and that was an interesting one here. Um, Bo Ortiz, who'd been like, what, 16 or 18 years or 16 something? years. 16 years he's been the, the county clerk here. Um, and so, and, and he lost the primary, which was interesting. And it was, it was a pretty significant margin um, on that one. Or it was surprising to us since he's been there for we, such a long we time. Did see two, we did see two county clerks in Colorado that lost primaries on election night, all actually within the Action 22 footprint. But those really weren't. Uh, primary losses related to election conspiracy, right. you know, Donald right. Trump won. It was really local issues. Yeah. Um, and I, and I will say this about uh, Bo Ortiz and Pueblo. He's actually the president of the clerks association right. now. And the, this, the model that people enjoy so much voting for in Colorado, regardless of party affiliation, he was a major architect of, and a lot of people don't remember, but the prime Senate sponsor of that bill was Angela Harone from Pueblo. Right. Um, and so that this model has deep roots in Southern Colorado, um, and it's one I'm quite proud of. And it, it once again uh, performed the way we told voters it would. And he started working that uh, working on that as far back as um, 2012. Mm -hmm. So mm -hmm. it was a long time that he was um, that he was working mm -hmm. on the uh, mail-in ballot. Okay, so let me ask you another. Um, so it's it's always interesting. Uh, if you're a longtime listener, you know that we have um, uh, Mike on the show early before the session starts. And he says, here's what I think we're going to be talking about. And I, without fail, don't believe all the things he says. But then it turns out 
he's always right. And I'm like, why are we talking? Okay. Um, so let me ask you, and again, we're going to pray over this. Um, what are you hoping to see our discussion items during this election? Um, and whether or not that they are, if you, if you could say, okay, this is what we need to discuss during this election. Um, uh, it's, and it's going to be a really important midterm. What are you hoping that they stay focused on everybody who's running? Well, uh, for which level of government, federal or state? Because I think the issues are going to be a little different. They where are. there's crossover, where there's crossover is how are we going to get through this time of, of high inflation? Mm-hmm. Um, uh, I was at a store just yesterday that looked, you know, um, that was empty. Um, uh, a retail store that, I mean, there was hardly anything in it. And I think that um, in inflation, our economy, how do we um, not only um, uh, attract new jobs to Colorado, but keep the ones that are here um, are going to be really important. I think you're going to see um, conversations, especially in the legislative races, about all the federal funds that came that the legislature allocated. You're going to start to see conversations, I would predict, at the local level to say, well, where are those dollars? Yep. And are they really getting spent where we said they were? And are we going to do it in a way that's, I know they spent a lot of time thinking about it, both political parties, but is it actually going to get obligated and is it actually going to get spent? And if not, should the legislature rethink what they're doing to get stuff out the door, dollars out the door to what I'll call shovel-ready projects? And I I actually think that's going to be a big conversation and and um, a lot of time has been spent on behavioral health and on on housing for example to take these dollars and be transformative but a fuse is lit and we have to get these dollars spent and obligate obligated and spent out the door and I, I really think that's going to be a huge challenge I also think the uh, this hangover that we have from COVID can be defined in a number of different ways. And I was just with Trinidad the other day in um, city of Trinidad, and you can see um, uh, people don't necessarily have to live in Denver anymore. They can live in places where they really want to live. Um, and so you're going to see more conversations like that about, well, how can we build housing? How can we provide broadband? Um, how can we make sure that we're fully funding our schools to make sure that folks will want to move into our rural communities, for example, and have a robust school system that is adequately funded, not just by local taxpayer dollars, but by the state. Um, and so I think that's a lot of what's going to be talked about uh, in these races. You know, um, I've talked to candidates for office just even today in both political parties. And, and um, you know, I, I know there's a lot, the media wants to push, you know, what, what about abortion and what about, um, you know, I, I just don't know that with the economy the way it is, right? This court threw abortion back to the states. Well, Colorado's already spoken. So I don't know what's more to be said there at the federal or state level. And I think, you know, uh, we'll have to see how that evolves. But um, so that's why I really think these this conversation, Colorado is going to be about pocketbook issues, quality of life issues. And what does Colorado want to be when it grows up? What does it want to look like? And I think both parties are offering a clear view of that. And so we'll have to see what resonates the most. Uh, the reason I asked you, and I appreciate that so much, because uh, I did the forum for um, the League of Women Voters, and uh, we talked about it on a previous episode of the show. But, uh, you know, people submitted questions, and I thought, 
oh, all the questions that they submit are going to be about the economy and inflation and all of those things because, you know, these this is a congressional race that we're discussing. And there was like one. And then all of them were on the other issues. So I genuinely hope, um, and I, I didn't preface that because, like I said, you usually call it right on. And so I was really hoping that that's what you would say and that that ends up being what the big discussion is. Because that was alarming to me that we're not, we weren't talking in the primaries about inflation and the economy and how we get the dollars out and all of, all of those issues. So um, I appreciate that a lot. And I think, you know, hopefully, you know, again, as a nerd, I hope this conversation sticks more to the policies, you know, Um, um, and and the press certainly has a role. They seem to be focused on the Republican side to have Heidi, Heidi Ganahl explain, you know, her position on elections or what happens if you, you know, how do you fund schools if you cut taxes and to the governor who's going to run on his record uh, as an example in that race, um, so um, and, and that will trickle down that conversation will trickle down into these legislative seats and and we'll just have to have to see. But I I would say I think both political parties are on notice right now. What we saw was a very elect uh, educated mm-hmm. um, focused electorate in this primary in both political parties. And they I wouldn't say they're grumpy. I would say they are committed to. Um, I was just impressed with their choices in both parties across the state. And I think that means that um, they're going to want to talk about things that matter to them, not things that matter to some special interest group that is buying TV ads. So be very interesting to see how it works out. From your lip to God's ears on that one. Yeah. And, and, you know, going back to the the Roe versus Wade thing, um, I asked some people, I put the fillers out, like, because I'm curious as how this is going to impact the the election more nationally because it, it fires up the base on both sides. Right. Um, and I talked to five people that two were left leaning and three were center right. And all five of them, they said, man, I don't care. I'm just trying to figure out how to pay for gas next month. Right. Like that, that's the Mm -hmm. number one issue. And, uh, who was it? The, we had a reception at the Houdini lounge here in Pueblo that's right. And, you know, he travels around, which he's a traveling magician, which sounds like an amazing job. <laughs> but, um, you know, he was saying that his gas just for his car going to Wyoming, Nebraska, these areas, he's spending like thousands of dollars a month in gas. And he's actually going to close down his little shop lounge place here in Pueblo. He can't afford it because his income comes from traveling around and just the gas prices literally shut down his business. And, and everybody right now that's their concern it's food and gas and and it, my daughter she just got laid off she worked in retail and you go in she she knew it was coming she goes into the store she works at nothing's on the shelves so they just basically laid everybody off yeah well that was an that was an interesting um we had our board meeting on friday and um we had chuck staggerwalt who is an electrician um, he's been on the board uh, since the beginning of Action 22, and he is a very right, right conservative. And he he says that right now he's spending $2,000 a month um, on gas, on gasoline for his truck because he's an electrician. So he so much of what he does tr- is traveling around. Um, and even with that, what he um, and and it was passed that he made a motion and, and we're going to send something up to the governor on it. But um, he, he made the motion to discourage, even with that, to discourage um, the governor from 
um, re, or suspending the gas tax. And he said, look, it's not, he goes, it's this much per, and, but it's the roads, keeping roads and keeping CDOT funded is more important than a few extra dollars. I mean, at this point, what does it, what difference does it make for me? But on the other side, it makes a really big difference. So that was kind of a surprising, everything in the last little bit that we've been hearing has been really surprising. Even yesterday, last couple of days, I've um, been on some of, in on some of the meetings with Hickenlooper, Senator Hickenlooper, and the discussion was exactly what you were talking about, Mike, is that um, workforce, we can't, we don't have enough people working. We don't, we can't do our business because of supply chains. We can't um, do our, we can't do what we need to do. Um, and then the b- other big one is water. Everywhere we go right now, that's the, there's a lot of um, fear and angst and frustration um, surrounding uh, what are we going to do about water? Well, and, 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 and again, I, I just think that um, when the economy is doing what it's doing, that has to be on the forefront of mm-hmm. people's minds and, and elected officials at every level of government. And Action 22 is a unique place to go and talk about those issues. Your, the um, affordable, um, uh, the housing summit that you just had, um, the conversations you've uh, facilitated on broadband. Uh, the outreach by the by the governor and others and our our U.S. senators to get our advice on policy. That's what that's what actually what's great about Action Twenty Two and the mission that you guys have helped us achieve. And um, I think, uh, as I said, um, kind of in conclusion, uh, with all of that in mind, we'll come back in the next m- weeks and months ahead, talk about these races in greater detail. I know the candidates will, as well as the initiatives. Um, and it should be one of the most important and interesting elections we've had in a long time. Yeah. So th- let me ask you this. What's your uh, election, uh, election night ritual? What do you do when you're sitting there looking at the numbers? Oh. Do you do it from home? Do you go to the office? What, do you wear a special shirt, <laughs> you know, the, the underwear you don't wash for 17 years for luck? What, what's I, your uh, that's funny you should say that. I washed windows, which just got rained on um, uh, this Tuesday. Um, and I typically, um, I don't do election parties. I sit at my computer and I, on my phone and I, I watch and um, take phone calls from folks like yourselves or reporters or candidates and and uh, that's what I spend my time doing and because I like to see the trends and yeah. it's hard yeah. to say what a turnout will be, um, you know, and, um, uh, you know, so we have little tricks that we do to see what turnout is, um, especially with the mail ballot system. And uh, so we do things like that. And, and um, it'll be an interesting election. It's an important election. It really is because there are some uh, big challenges that we face as a state. Yeah, and I think that the voters are paying attention more and more informed and more educated on these issues is great for democracy because now the candidates have to work for those votes more. And and I just see that as a positive all around. Right, absolutely. Well, Mike, thanks so much for being with us. We're going to have you back on um, after we see all the ballot initiatives come out. Um, And so that'll be uh, later on in August. Um, But we just appreciate everything you do, um, not just for Action 22, but for all the communities, you know, um, it's uh, you do things for a lot of our our members. And and we appreciate we appreciate all um, all of that. Um, So disclaimer, Brian. Action 22 does not endorse or support candidates during an election season. 
we do offer a platform for any member of Action 22 that is running for office to come on our show and talk about their stance, views, opinions, anything they want for as long as they want. So anybody that's an Action 22 member and you're running for office, please contact us at show at action22.org and come on our show and tell us what you're about. And if you're not a member of Action 22, um, I don't know what your holdup is. If you want immediately to be an influence in your community, if you're a leader, if you're running for office, or if you're not, um, if you're doing anything within that uh, public policy space and you like um, a, a fresh set of eyes on it um, that's nonpartisan and um, action-driven, then you need to join Action 22. And again, you can do that um, by just emailing us at show at action22.org and we'll get you all signed up. Thank you for tuning in to Making Action Happen. Be sure to join your hosts, Sarah Blackhurst and Brian McCain, for another edition of the show on the Voice America Variety Channel. Have a good week.